Good evening. Good to see all of you out tonight. I'm glad that you're here with us. I mentioned this morning that our lesson that we had for this morning was a two-parter. Uh, it was one of those that when I got into it, it was much more material than I could fit into one lesson. And so I decided to split it up into two. So I'm going to review you a little bit on what we talked about tonight for those that, or this morning, for those of you that weren't here for that, and then we'll go into the lesson for tonight. Uh, we talked about worship this morning and how we are to offer worship that is worthy. And it is possible for us to worship God and for our worship not to be pleasing in His sight. Uh, there are two different views that we looked at this morning that people have in regard to judgment of worship and how they look at a worship service. Well, it, it was meaningful to me because one of those views is favorable public opinion. If many people enjoy the worship service, then it must be good, a good worship service. Personal enjoyment. Well, I really enjoyed this part about the worship, and that's how they judge the worship service. But our standard, as we understand it as Christians, shouldn't be based on how we feel, but how God feels. We need to ask the question, is our worship acceptable to God? And if it's not, then, then should we be offering it? We want to know how to worship God in the way that He wants us to. I introduced this lesson as five different principles of worthy worship that we need to look at, understand, and apply to our worship. We looked at the first two this morning, and tonight we'll get into the last three. The principle number one is that God is the exclusive object of worship. Going back to the Old Testament, we understand that, that even in presenting the Ten Commandments to the people that God set forth at the very beginning, you should have no other gods before me. Don't make for yourselves any idols and offer worship to them. We are not to place anything in, in the place of God. When it comes to worship, He is the only being that we should worship. Anyone or anything else that is in our worship other than God shouldn't be. He is the central focus of our worship. There are even those that, such as, as Peter and the angel in Revelation chapter 22 that refuse to be worshipped. When Cornelius started to bow down and worship Peter, said no. No, don't worship me. And the angel did the same with John when he started to worship the angel. The angel said, I'm a fellow servant. Worship God. We agree that even though we wouldn't necessarily bow down to idols today, idolatry is still present. Especially in the form of greed and covetousness. As we looked at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5 and Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Both talk about covetousness as being idolatry. That leads to self-worship, self-righteousness. And that's not the case. That's not what we are to worship. But we're not here to please ourselves. We're here to please God. The second principle that we looked at this morning 
is that God must be worshipped for the right reasons. If we're not here for the right reason, we shouldn't be here at all. God is the central focus of our worship. And if we're not here to please Him, if we're here to, to please ourselves in some way or to, to somehow justify what we're doing, then we're not here for the right reason. We need to worship in the way that God has set forth for us to worship. We're not here to bring glory to man. We're here to bring glory to God. So make sure we have the right motives. And that leads us up into the lesson for tonight. Picking up with principle number three. True worshipers must have a humble and penitent heart. Turn to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18. Let's begin reading at verse 9. Luke 18 and verse 9. Here we read the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, when we worship, we're not to be self-righteous. Those who are self-righteous while despising others are not pleasing to God in what they are doing. The prayer of the Pharisee was not pleasing to God because he saw himself in a way that he really wasn't. He exalted himself when he shouldn't have. Humility is what Jesus was teaching. God desires a humble spirit and a contrite heart or a penitent spirit. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. We read of a prayer of David. We understand this prayer to be after the loss of his child, a child that was conceived in adultery. And he prayed to God, and part of this prayer, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That's the type of spirit that God wants when we offer worship, when we offer any kind of, of offering to Him. 
We don't do so for the glory of men, but we do so to glorify God. We do so in humility, realizing our state before God. So certainly as we offer our worship, if we're offering true worship, we must have a humble and penitent heart. Principle number four. True worship requires godly living. One cannot be a true worshiper and also a moral rebel. You cannot be both. You have to choose one or the other. Godly worship on Sunday and immoral living on Monday cannot coexist in the life of a Christian. You can't be someone around Christians and be someone completely different when you're in the world. You can't have Christian friends and then have those that, that are morally disrespectful to God. And you, you can't be friends with, 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 with God and the world. It doesn't work that way. You see, we have to live godly lives in order to offer a true offering of worship to God the way that He desires. We have a couple of examples that we find in the Old Testament of, of those who did try to worship God in the way that they thought that He would be pleased with, but yet they still rebelled against Him. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, we read of Israel. Amos chapter 5 and verse 21. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. We read of Israel, or Judah in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. Isaiah 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Morally speaking, they were rebellious against God and they thought that they could worship Him and still be pleasing in His sight. The problem with Israel and Judah was that though they worshipped God, their lives were full of rebellion against Him. And their worship 
was deemed unacceptable by God. We have the example in Luke chapter 10 verses 29 through 37 of the Good Samaritan. And though that parable is not talking about worship, there are a couple of good examples that we have here. We have that passed by this man had been beaten and robbed, a priest and a Levite. And finally, a Samaritan. The Samaritans were, were hated by the Jews. They were a mixed race of people. And yet it was the priest and the Levite that were not pleasing to God in that instance. They refused to help the injured man. The Samaritan was the one who was a good neighbor. Doesn't matter how we worship God if our lives are in moral rebellion. It didn't matter about this priest and, and the Levite, even if they, they were dedicated to God's service because their lives were not pleasing in His sight. The way that they were living was not the example that was good in that instance. So we have to make sure that our lives outside of worship are the same as they are inside of worship. When we come to worship God, we must be pleasing to Him in the way that we live before we can offer a sacrifice of praise unto Him. And finally, principle number five. We must set our hearts to do God's will and do it. Worship requires an expression of our feelings toward God for all that He has done for us, an expression of our love and gratitude, uh, an expression of our thankfulness to Him, an expression of our love. That's what worship is about. We talked about that last week. We must also set our hearts to know how God wants these feelings expressed. See, it does no good for us to, to speculate and say, well, I think God would, would be pleased with this or that. That's not how we as Christians are to operate. We operate under the authority of God. So our worship must be under His authority. And He has told us how He wants us to express these things toward Him. Ezra 7, verse 10. says that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. When we worship, we, we don't talk a lot about the preparation for worship. And in a lot of cases, I'm sure that, that there probably is none, unfortunately. But we must prepare ourselves to worship God in the way that He desires. That's exactly what Ezra had done. He had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. I'm sure on a daily basis. He had prepared his heart to seek what God's will was so that he could know it 
and so that he could do what God desired. When was the last time you prepared yourself for worship? He said we have to prepare our hearts to seek God's will. Not just within the worship service, but on other occasions as well. We have to prepare ourselves to seek God's will. In Psalm 119, beginning with verse 9. Psalm 119 and beginning with verse 9. It says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Picking up with verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things, and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant, who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. So we have to seek God's will. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We must seek God's will. If we do not seek, we cannot find. It's more than just listening to the preacher on Sunday. It's more than just hearing these things taught. It's seeking and understanding what they mean. God is not pleased with indifference toward His will. I've had several occasions where I've spoken to someone about some religious matter and mentioned to them a scripture, maybe even the meaning of a scripture. Well, I hadn't really thought much about it. You know, they, they have a basic understanding maybe of Scripture because they've been taught from the pulpit, but they really don't understand. God is not pleased with indifference toward His will. It's something that we should cherish. It's something that we should desire to learn more of. We have to study on our own and understand what His Word says so that we can know that we're doing the right thing. To the Pharisees who taught tradition instead of command, Jesus recognized their worship as vain. Matthew chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. They were indifferent toward His will and that was not pleasing in the sight of God. We must seek God's will. Meditate on it. Day and night as we read in Psalm 1. We need to understand what God wants so that we can offer Him worship that is worthy. And when we have found God's way, when we have found what God wants us to do, we must endeavor to worship His way. 
You see, it's not about pleasing me, is it? It's about honoring God. And the only way to honor God is in the way that we have been given authority for. Anything outside of authority is not pleasing to God. As a matter of fact, if we look at Scripture, we understand that, that even God proves His desire for true worship as opposed to any kind of worship that man comes up with. God wants worship in a specific way. He gives specific instructions. Going back to the Old Testament, we see proof of God's desire for true worship and the great deal of time and effort spent giving specific instructions on how the Israelites were to worship. Leviticus chapters 1 through 3, for instance. It was not left up to man to decide how they should worship, but to follow God's commands. That's what we're to do. We see it in his reaction to disobedience. Notice what happens in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Leviticus 10, beginning with verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. These were his sons that died. They died because they worshipped in a way that was not pleasing to God. It was not in the way that He had commanded. They offered a, a strange, a profane fire before the Lord. It was worship, right? What was the big deal? They were honoring God, right? What was the big deal? You see, the big deal was that they were not worshipping in the way that God had specified. They were not worshiping according to God's authority. That was the big deal. And when told what had been said, Aaron had nothing to say. There's nothing that he could say. They had done wrong and he realized it. They had lost their lives because their worship was disobedient. That also proves that God is not interested in just any kind of worship. But He's interested in true worship in the way that He has commanded. We are given similar specific commands in the New Testament in regard to our worship. Commands that when we look at them and we, we see how they are worded, we can follow them just as they are given without saying well, you know, maybe God would be pleased with this or that. God has given very specific instruction. And we can follow them without adding or taking away from them. For instance, we are commanded to sing praises unto God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Ephesians 5, 19. There's been much dispute as to whether instruments might be in there somewhere. But, but have you ever thought about the, the whole of the New Testament? In regard to what we are given in the New Testament and the authority that we are given, you'll not find a single instrument in regard to worship. 
You ever wondered why? What we do have authority for is singing. Singing from our heart. Making melody within our heart. Edifying one another. Building up the church. And we can follow that command without adding instruments or anything else to it. It's up to us to follow God's authority. His authority is for singing and for singing only. We're commanded to pray, Ephesians 6.18, Philippians 4.6, Colossians 4.2, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, among others. We are commanded to pray. We're taught how to pray. Even going back to Matthew chapter 6. We are to pray. That's part of our worship. That's something that we can do without adding to it in any way or taking away from it. We are commanded to partake of the unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are not given liberty in the decision of how to worship in this way. When God has given specific authority that we can follow without addition or subtraction, why would we dare to add to or take away from what God has already said? It's very plain, very specific. And we can follow those specific instructions. I don't often speculate, but I wonder what would our worship be like if man were given liberty to decide how it should be done? I think we know the answer to that because we see it evidenced in our world today. Man has taken liberty where God is not allowed. They've turned worship into something that it should not be. I've heard of people uh, visiting a worship service and coming away saying, well, that, that felt more like a concert than a worship service. Was it really worship? When we look at the many ways that, that, that man has, has devised and how they think that worship should be done, whether uh, the singing should be done with instruments or not, or, or whether the Lord's Supper should be taken on a regular basis or not, or anything else like that, we see that man has taken liberty where God is not allowed. And it comes back to the very beginning of our lesson when we talked about the different views of judgment on worship, on what makes a good worship service. Now, now we look more at how man is pleased. How our pleasures are fulfilled. How we feel about it. And how God feels about it. If man were given liberty to decide how to worship, we would most likely be tempted into self-worship and self-pleasure, which is exactly what is happening today. God left no room for that in the way that He desires to be worshipped. In regard to true worship, He left no room for speculation. He gave specific authority. And we can follow that authority just as it has been given. So just to go back and, and look at these principles once again. 
we understand that our worship needs to be true worship. God is the exclusive object of worship. We understand that God must be worshipped for the right reasons. If He's not, then it's not worship, not true worship. We must worship for the right reason. True worshipers must have a humble and penitent heart. If we're not here in humility, then we have no reason to worship God. We understand what He did for us. His greatness. His authority. And we humble ourselves before Him when we worship the way that He desires. True worship requires godly living. We must have a life that professes Christianity. That proudly wears the name of Christ. That does not seek to deface that name in any way. We seek to please God in all things. Finally, we need to set our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts. Just as Ezra had done. We need to prepare our hearts to seek God's will on a regular basis. Every day, open up God's Word. Try to understand it. Try to know what God wants from you so that you can offer worship that is pleasing to Him. And once we know God's will, we must endeavor to do His will. There is no other way to worship God and please Him. I hope that the lesson has been helpful to you in some way or another to understand what God wants from you as a Christian in regard to your worship. As I mentioned this morning, I, I don't know your heart. I don't know how you stand before God. I don't know if you're a faithful child of God or not. Maybe you need to come in obedience, obeying the gospel, through faith, repentance, confession of Christ, baptism for the remission of sins. Maybe you've not done those things. You need to offer your life to Him. Maybe you have done those things and maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you're not the child of God that you need to be. And if that's the case, then Certainly be glad to help you in that need. We always offer the invitation. We don't take it lightly. This is God's invitation to you. If you're in need of responding in any way, if there's anything that we can do as a church to assist you, we ask that you come as we stand and as we stand.